and welcome to the first official newly named episode of the Glacially Musical Podcast. It might not sound different, but look at your phone, pull it up now, and you'll see that it's spelled different. It's not superfluous Canadian use. We are uh, taking uh, taking a page from Justin Pirouette of Stormland Brand, uh, Stormland Band, excuse me, who writes those amazing death metal Gundam tunes. He uh gave me the idea to steal so i have stolen it uh as always this is the glacier musical podcast basically nothing has changed uh it is beer metal swearing nick cameron of the uh failed musical blog glacially musical joined by kilroy chakas uh so let's get this going early how we doing failed i don't think it's failed but Uh, okay Dead and, blo- dead and bloated, I don't know, whatever. <clears throat> what are you drinking this evening? I have a brand new beer to drink because you pressured me into making sure I had new beers. So uh, one of, I just want to say I love Nick so much. Um, <laughs> Four Point Beer, KSA. Four Point Beer, KSA Colch Ale, which is delicious. I have already had a few of these, not today, but. They are wonderful. My new, my new favorite beer, replacing Montauki. And uh, I even have a couple of other beers if I need more than one that are different than this beer to drink. I, I, uh, I am drinking, uh, as one of my coworkers these days is calling me bougie, uh, very bourgeoisie. <laughs> uh, I am drinking a very expensive beer. This pint of beer cost me $4.50 at the store. Uh, came with came in four. It is the Toppling Goliath Brewing Company. It is a collaboration brew, brew between Toppling Goliath and somebody else. I'm not wearing my glasses. I'm sorry, so I can't read it. Uh, this is called uh, the Forced <coughs> Flare Double India Pale Ale. And anybody who's worked a moment in the corporate world knows how real that movie is. I've uh, never had this, and I've uh, never spent this much on a four-pack, but here we are. And uh, I'll tell you this much, it's an IPA that should be drunk at about 35 degrees, and that's all I'm going to say. Okay, well, that's, that's better than nothing. <clears throat> the box did not say hazy. Uh, to, uh, like, like we're going we're gonna to discuss the Wizzo chocolate sweets in the not-too-distant future. And just like if there's Lark's Vomit in your chocolates, if there's Hazy in your IPA, you need to put a big sticker that says, warning, this is Hazy. So, anyway, mm-hmm. uh, how are you doing today now that we've gotten off on the wrong foot? Okay, man. Not too shabby. Um, you know, holiday weekend, I have work responsibilities, so I had to like work a little bit every two hours today. Uh, nothing majorly pressing or terrible. I have completely off tomorrow for Thanksgiving. Uh, no real plans. And then um, I live in a city without family and not too many friends. So I think everybody else has something to do and I'll be here. But uh, And Friday I have, again, the semi-day work, but sort of off. So the break is nice. It's needed. I've been very burned out on life and work in general. Know the and, feeling. Uh, probably, know the feeling. probably do a bunch of ghost cult stuff, a bunch of interviews, a bunch of write-ups that I haven't been doing. I have our, we have to do our uh, end of the year stuff 
to start running next week. So I have a lot of writing and editing and videos to shoot and all that shit. So I did just put out our uh, holiday gift guide. I know no one's going to see this until or hear this in a couple of weeks, but uh, <clears throat> that was a lot of fun to put together, like vinyl, band beers and whiskeys, where to get your clothes for metal life, things like that, live streaming options, what to get the metal head in your life, basically. Very nice. I uh, you got a vinyl check-in for me. I have been seeing the lovely pictures of your new turntable, and it yes. gets me happy in my pants that I just broke. True story, okay. I broke my pants at work on Monday. Where did they break? In, in the, the crotch? Or oh, in, in, the, the, in the zipper. The crotch. In the zipper. I... It's just too much man. It's all that quiet riot we listened to. Uh, I wish I could. Uh, I wish I could uh, say my manhood was to blame. Uh, it was not. It was my forgetfulness and sleepiness. Because typically I wear five hundred ones that are button fly, because I have an odd shape in uh, my. You're one of region. those people. You you will wear a button fly, but like pants. That's insane. I only mostly wear button fly pants, so I wow. have actually broken two zippers, forgetting that I was not wearing button flies. And okay. it was at 8.30 in the morning. It wouldn't have been so bad if I wasn't wearing, you know, bl- completely black and red underpants. So That's it was a bad day. <clears throat> bad day. Um, in terms of the vinyl, so yes, I finally got my turntable. It arrived last week while we were recording. I set it up this weekend. My first spin of anything was Ride the Lightning by Metallica, which was my first Metallica record on CD in 1985 uh it had been out a while already but that's my when i got into thrash my second vinyl that i listened to was pink floyd which we hear on 180 gram it came in a deluxe like with a sleeve and a postcard oh, that's the fancy one in it. yeah the fancy the one fancy, with the, the recent reissues yep the, that one has the black the black slip cover like the original one yep. like the original yes. only the original pressing had that <laughs> I have the, yeah, the shiny black slip cover, which is dope. And I just went to the Pink Floyd Museum, so it's even a little more meaningful to me. I actually watched, uh, not watched, but I actually did a little bit of reading on that museum today. And holy shit, I want to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it'll move to someplace else. It's not going to totally disappear. Um, And then, so new vinyl. So now I finally get to finally play all these vinyls I haven't been able to play for a while. So everything is kind of new to me that's here with me at the apartment. I have a whole bunch of stuff back east, like 200 that are, you know, untouched and maybe another 100 somewhere else in in New York City in a storage. But the new one that I got this week that is new, new to me, I just got my maiden Senjutsu. I haven't opened it yet. We'll see if it's fucked up or not. Remember, they had to resend it to me. So for my birthday, I bought the deluxe vinyl Senjutsu, mistakenly from Walmart, never again. Keefe's got never that deluxe anything, vinyl money. Never buy that fucking, never buy anything from Walmart ever again as long as I live. And then I bought the turntable. The turntable just showed up and the vinyl came damaged and I sent it back and it took forever to get them to send it back to me. I just got it. We'll see when I open it, what kind of shape it's in. I also got the, not the current Haunt Unplugged Volume 1 that just released, but the album before it, Beautiful Distraction. I just got that in the mail. And I want to say I got one more record that I haven't opened. 
I think my Gimme Metal subscription is coming with the uh, re-press of Ghost's debut on vinyl for the 10th uh, anniversary. Opus Anonymous? Yeah. I haven't actually never and heard then, that one. Oh, that's fucking great. You missed out. And then I'm I'm missing one that I received. I just got, but I don't I don't recall what it is. <laughs> I'm trying to look I'm trying to look up by record label. Again, these are things that I bought a lot a while ago <laughs> that are just showing up now. Haunt was a Bandcamp Friday purchase, two Bandcamp Fridays ago. Maiden was September or even before, so like maybe August when I first bought it. Oh no, September because I dragged my feet buying it. I wasn't sure I wanted it. Since, I was like, yeah, oh, since crazy. Jutsu. Of course I was. I yeah, I, I, was dragged, like, I, I, dra- I dragged my feet on that too. I did not. I didn't pre-order. I pre-ordered it and I canceled it. Same with uh, torn arteries. I, I pre-ordered it. I canceled it. Uh, I have them both now because you know you've got to have them both. Um, my vinyl check in. How do you feel this... about? Uh... Go ahead. Oh, I was going to just ask you if you saw. I don't. I, I don't think you pay attention to this stuff too well. But I was wondering if uh, you saw that Torn Arteries was the decibel album of the year. No, but uh, I like Torn Arteries. It's somewhere between Heartwork and Surgical Steel, which are my two favorites. Heartwork is the, the superior of the three. It's a good record. I wouldn't. I'm not going to slobber over it that much. I guess that's the best way to describe it. I've only listened to mm. it once. It hasn't really... It, it's not... I, I would put Sinjutsu ahead of, of Torn Arteries. Sinjutsu is amazing. I mean, a truly... Truly amazing record. But uh, if I could, my vinyl check-in this week has three records. Uh, I want to give a big shout-out to Dead Wax Records on Cherokee in South St. Louis City, near, uh, it's near, a brewery, right across the street from a brewery that I've never been to, that used to be a, uh, used to be called The Stable, which was a good pizza place, pizza, and they were trying to do rum as well, God, I remember, anyway, not gonna get into that, that's illegal, um, but they posted, uh, they, they did, you know, one of those, you know, new records in kind of videos that all the little record stores do. And they had in their video Black Diamond Heavies uh, every damn time. And the Black Diamond Heavies and James Legg's solo work afterwards and his collaborative work with Left Lane Cruiser. Excuse me. Uh, this is a burpy, burpy beer. So if I pause, I'm not doing a Shatner. Sorry. So uh, that particular artist is very, very, very special to me. Um, I've told this story so many times. I don't know if I've told it on a podcast. But when my wife and I were dating, very first dating, like barely exclusive, and I had known her parents for a couple of weeks, she tells me, Exine Servanka and the original Sinners are going to be at the Schlafly Tap Room. And I went... Uh, Exy, what now in the Woohoozies? She's like, it's $3. It's a Camel Cigarettes show. And you'll get free smokes. Okay. At the time, I was a very, very heavy smoker. So $3, and I was given two packs of cigarettes, plus the two packs of cigarettes that my wife was given, uh, plus the two packs of cigarettes that my father-in-law, who showed up later, uh, (laughs) also took and gave to me. 
even though he didn't smoke. But uh, she's like, it's it's Xine Cervanka of the punk band X. And I'm like, honey, I'm metal. I, I don't do that. Uh, now, that was then. This is now. Now I fucking love Xine Cervanka. I got the new record and just actually bought my wife a, an Xine Cervanka record, another one recently. And I've seen X in concert. And holy hell, amazing, amazing band. I got two or three of their records. But the opening, opening, the opening act of this show was this little band called Black Diamond Heavies. They were one of the many, many hundreds of duos that came out at that time. And it was uh, John Wesley Myers, now known as James Legg, and Van something or other. And it was a dude playing a keyboard, except it wasn't a keyboard. It was an electric piano going through guitar pedals into a Marshall stack. And what was special about that isn't just how great the music is, which it is. It's truly amazing, amazing artist. But it, that was the moment that my world reopened up to new music. I had given up on new music and I had actually stopped listening to music for a long time because I was so bored with everything I had heard. And then this man comes into my life and opens it up. And I've actually gotten to interview him four or five times. He's a really interesting guy. And I've seen him perform at a whiskey festival, at a cigarette show, at a taco joint, and at a legitimate uh, music venue. And if you ever get the opportunity to see him, he mostly tours in Europe these days. But uh, I, I totally recommend it. It's... If you ever thought Benfold would be great if he was a lot more gravelly and drunk, this is your guy. But, oh shit! Then uh, I then I definitely will check it out because um, yeah, I like so Benfolds. When you're here, I've got it all, so we can have a marathon. All right. But uh, and they also had copies of Black Sabbath <clears throat> Paranoid. Fuck! Finally filled the hole. I never had one. And so now I have more. Is this just any any old copy or a special copy? No, it's just it's an older. It's like a late seventies copy, I believe. It's it's a bad copy. It's going to need to be run through the the wet cleaner a six or seven dozen more times. But you know what? It was twelve dollars, and fuck it, who cares? You know, sure, it's a little scratchy during Iron Man, but I mean, it just makes it sound different and you know new because we've all heard that song a thousand times but i now have more ozzy solo records with black sabbath than any other black sabbath singer as you do it took me that long though just i mean just to throw that out there not pining for that tony martin box set yet are you uh it's not out yet it's not out yet wait there's a box set coming he's making it tony is working on it that's actually what he's been working on the last couple of years a tony martin box set well so that's why he's been ignoring all of the 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 polls for him to get back with Tony. that's why he's not that's why he's not taking my calls or touring or recording or so that's why okay whatever okay tone uh I, I didn't know there was such a demand for a tony martin black you know box there set. aren't that many tony martin uh black sabbath stands out there but the ones that are will cut you. If you <laughs> if you do not love Forbidden in a, in a headless cross like they do, they will cut you. And I'm like, I guess. Oh, I'm. I, I, I think about Tony Martin Black Sabbath, and this is the last <laughs> thing I'm going to say before I'm ready to move on to you know why we're actually here. 
uh, live, Tony Martin was an amazing Black Sabbath singer. Studio, not so much. Okay, that's you know not unfair. It's not unfair. I won't. Uh, I won't fucking go against that at all. Personal opinion, you know, if you your mileage may vary. If you like his vocals, you you know he's he's definitely a late '80s kind of metal singer with that very high pitched voice. But live, he could bring it down a few touches, get a little gravelly, get gravelly for Dio, and get that. Uh, however, you would describe Ozzy's. He, he was between Ozzy and, and Dio, which is a good spot to be in for somebody doing a set of 70% Ozzy and Dio songs. Yo, that's fair. Anyhow, Very Kilroy, fair. why are we here today? Kilroy was here. We are here to start a new series. We have mercifully finished Quiet Riot. We and, were one um, week yeah. away from Seppuku. We really, I mean, fuck. We would have killed ourselves. Uh, I do say that, like, they have other records that are okay comparatively to those other couple ones. But, like, yeah, uh, mental health is not only driving that, it's all you need. And that's that's you okay. Need. Okay. Let's, let's. So, so we're Get moving on. We're moving on to the new series. And the new series is Monty Python. Now, Monty Python as a musical series was my choice. I am sorry, it is not metal. There is swearing and poofters, which, sorry, that's problematic. Maybe if you know late 70s uh, European slang. But uh, Monty Python, I, I, look, I'm, I'm like Bernie Federko when the blues are up 5 nothing. I, I can't even, I can't, I, I just can't. Anyway, so most people learned about Monty Python by seeing them on the TV first. I am the guy who got in the backwards door. Uh, I went I, I, I went around the back door, I pulled a Willie Dixon on him, a Howlin' Wolf as it were. And so the first thing I ever had of Monty Python was the final ripoff. My good friend Jamie Scheibel copied the final ripoff for me. I was so excited to hear this, I had him tape over my Slayer blank tapes. My blank tapes with Slayer on them. I, it's fine, I got, the, I got them on CD later. But that was where I started. So I didn't see the Flying Circus. I didn't see the Holy Grail until after I had absorbed so much of the the final ripoff, which was the last major greatest hits release they had. So I thought it would be fun to go back in time, get in the Wayback Machine, and talk about this. Because the idea of a television program releasing a record in 2021 of their material without any visuals is completely foreign. But in 1970, when the first record we're gonna talk about, Monty Python's Flying Circus was released, what kind of home video options did we have there, Keefe? Not a lot. Uh, I'm really glad you brought this up because this was something I had already thought about that I wanted to start in this area. Uh, and I'll take it back even further. It's not only that we didn't have options, is that comedy records were actually how most people consumed comedy. Yes. The, yes. Ton the Tonight Show, sketch comedy shows, are like sitcoms are not what they are now. The age of the sitcom really happens in the mid to late 70s in America. Um, there are comedy movies, romantic comedy movies, plenty of them and done geniusly 
brilliant ones. But comedy really lives in books and records until the 70s, maybe even the 80s. 80s. So this is before Kate. This is before cable. There are there are comedians on tour, but it's not like this rock star shit we have now where you would not see Bill Cosby or George Carlin playing an arena. No, but they would do theaters and they would do well. Yeah, theaters, yeah. They would do you know, Carlin graduated to like I mean, I've read his book, uh, you know, several of his books, but I read like Last Words, which is really his life story. And then he talked about kind of graduating from little pissy clubs to like big theaters. But even now that's almost, imp- it's, that's really difficult. But think about the fact that Carlin hosted the first SNL. Cause he yes, wasn't Carlin, an actor then. He was a, just a pure- Just a, just a stand-up comedian. And, 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 it's I, a, and, and, they are, and I'll say this also, the comedy album was an art. Yes. You know, there's a lot of bands that make albums that are not good. And there's a lot of bands that make albums that are genius. So the, the art of the really, truly great comedy album was evolving. And now for a little bit of Keithy history, when I went to Boston University, that was the loudest can ejection ever. That, so that beer must have sucked. Um, okay. Eject the cans quieter. When I just had, I'm sorry. I just had to get the can into the recycling. It could wait. Um, could have, yes. I'm sorry. So I went to Boston University from 2007 to 2012. I got two degrees. And in my graduate years, I needed an elective. And I took a class with a professor named Joe Boskin. I don't know if he's still alive. He was kind of aged. I hope he's still alive. And he um, taught a series in comedy. And one of the things he taught us, uh, one of his funnier jokes is, you know, he was from LA. And one of his, in the 60s, he taught exclusively, like he was a professor of drama at USC in the 60s. And two of his students were O.J. Simpson and Al Cowling's AC from the O.J. trial. And he was like, you know what O.J. Simpson learned about me from comedy? Nothing. Which is funny because O.J. was pretty funny as an actor in, you know, those movies, Airplane, stuff like that. But I don't Anyway, wah, wah, wah. I'm like, so, uh, um, I'm, I'm three words away from issuing a disclaimer. So tread lightly. We're good. We're okay. Good. So, but, but one of the things that he taught, and this is important, this is back to the the why of Monty Python. Like American language, America is the mutt of the world. Give us your tired and your poor huddled masses here need to be free. Our language is an amalgam. Our culture is an amalgam. And our comedy is an amalgam of different things. A lot of it comes from England, mostly. Uh, especially the... Shakespearean dramas and comedy elements of Shakespeare are a through line to like future generations and, and generations and centuries of comedies. So I don't know if America just has like a fucking addiction to being Anglophiles, but like we do get a lot of our comedic sensibilities from England, which is why I think when um when British comedy hits Americans, it hits us a certain way in our funny bone. I think that what you're referring to is an Anglo-centric life affirmation, which comes from the way school is taught. We are not taught about how the entire southern states from Florida all the way to California was Spanish colonization. We are only dis- we only and we don't even really discuss the German colonization of New York and New Jersey. 
we only discuss the Anglo colonization of the 13 colonies of Virginia, of Maine, whatever. Fuck them. We haven't sworn like yet, so beer metal swearing. I, so I swear so there's no metal this week, <laughs> this month. I feel like I think Monty Python has influenced heavy metal. Agree, including Iron Maiden and and Guar. Different times. And Guar. So like here, yeah, Monty Although, Python. Uh, Bruce Dickinson is a huge Monty Python fan. He is a huge. So sorry. Continue. So anyway, I think this is important. It's important to know that, like, so. So I, like a typical fan, discovered Monty Python on WNET Channel 13, local PBS station programming, like all the good British shows, Upstairs, Downstairs, Faulty Towers, The Outsiders. Uh, all of these things came to me via PBS and uh, along with Sesame Street and Electric Company and the Bloodhound Gang. Or uh, whatever. Flying, Circus, contact. Flying Circus, I know, at least was on our... Uh, PBS affiliate for a while and I went Monty Python's Flying Circus and I saw the animation of the credits and went no. Only three years later to be uh, fetishizing it for lack of a better term. So yeah, so like same here uh, Flying Circus and uh, you know um, meaning of life, and then weirdly, I didn't see Life of Brian. Yeah, so uh, Holy Grail, Flying Circus, early, um, and then later, as I got older, Life of Brian and Meaning of Life. So like, like, and these are later things, you mm-hmm. know, sort of in a way. Oh, yeah. But so these these albums come along more or less within a year or two of the group forming and getting to television and becoming a sensation, and so we get these albums. And I well, honestly, the, the, the first album came out. The one, we're, the, the first one we're going to discuss, came out in 1970, which was three. Came out in England in 1970, which is about two or three years before we got Monty Python. We got Monty Python right. in America. I want to say maybe the last year it existed on television is when it finally made it over here. Right, um, and it was ahead of its time. Like, oh, let's just start with the fact that not only were they absurd satirists and geniuses, they were far, far ahead of their time. Um, just the things they chose to lampoon, the things they chose to make fun of, the real deep intelligence and the depth of soul that they had. Well, they all, these guys went to either Cambridge or Oxford, and they all graduated like top of the class. So basically, mm-hmm. you have the smartest people at the two best English universities and this one American dude whom they don't let talk much just kind of found each other all at once. And so you had all these factions in the group except for Terry Jones and Terry Gilliam who were their own thing. You had uh, Palin and Cleese that wrote together. You had uh, Palin and Cleese that wrote together, Graham Chapman and John Cleese that wrote together. And then Palin and Idol, and it was it's it's, and then again Terry Jones, Terry Gilliam, just you know, bringing up the American side of this, and you know, red, white, and blue, but whatevs. Um, so indeed, so indeed, it, it really is impossible to understate the significance of Monty Python. If you, that I think was the first sketch show that hit, that tickled 
the American sensibility. It wasn't long after that that we had Laugh-In, that we had Saturday Night Live, and if any- Honey and Cher. That, that's variety show, that's a different deal. Don't, don't forget them though. I, I, I won't, I'm just saying, I think variety and sketch are similar, but different art forms. Not the same, okay, that's fair. But if any, if you have watched any sketch comedy in the past 30 years, seek out an interview with those people and you will see slobbering over Monty Python in a way that you will not be able to fathom if you're, because I mean, I think we might be at the point where Monty Python fandom is now, we're at the youngest level of that. The series was over when I was born. The Holy Grail, I think, had already been released when I was born. So only three Monty Python things came out in my lifetime. And one of those was the reunion show that they had to do to pay a tax bill. So that doesn't even really count. Because they didn't even, like, do anything. They just, you know. And uh, Graham Chapman, one of his last roles was actually in... Can I Play With Madness by Iron Maiden. So, again, huge Monty Python fan. But, uh, so, yeah. again, it, it's worth noting, you could not buy a video. You couldn't go down to the store and get a VHS or a DVD or a Blu-ray or check out YouTube or... Comedy is so ubiquitous now. It is with us, it, like, literally, even social media seems to exist to promote comedy. Comedy Everything in this world is so ubiquitous. That's the thing. You know, you had to... In 1970... Excuse me. In 1970, you could not choose what you were going to watch. You had four choices. Five if you were lucky. You had ABC, NBC, CBS, PBS, and then you <laughs> might have one or two UHF channels. I think that's the first time we've dropped the phrase UHF on this podcast, which is amazing. But so think about that. You Half of the people listening are going to go, what the fuck is UHF? If you don't know what that is, then there's VHF, not VHS, but VHF as well. So you got all this crap, which is like nothing basically compared to today. Right now, I could pull out my phone, which is sitting on the table in front of me, and I could watch anything Monty Python has ever done. And listen to every release they've ever done. Back then, you could not buy these things. You had to buy the audio-only soundtracks. And as a person who grew up putting a tape... I grew up in an era when you couldn't tape anything at will. So I put a tape recorder up to the speakers on my televisions to record episodes of Cheers that I loved. And I could watch, I could listen to them later. So that's, I think, why this strikes such a chord with me. So let's travel back to 1970 when Monty Python puts out their first album, Monty Python's Flying Circus, named after the show, obviously, which had been out for two or three series, I believe, at this point. And it had the warning saying, caution, contains material from the television show, Monty Python's Flying Circus. Oh. How do you want to do this? How do you want to do this? I liked how you said it. There's no point in doing a track by track. I think we just talk about favorite sketches, favorite moments, and 
maybe some importance after. Fair enough. Um, let me let me just give you. Think... I'll go ahead and give you a few faves on my side, and then you give a few faves on your side, and then we'll we'll, we'll talk about anything that's significant. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's start off for me, Flying Sheep, the opening track, which is hysterical. It's about sheep that decide to become aviation pilots. And then you have Frenchmen doing a thing about uh, turning those sheep into passenger lines. Again, it's it when Keefe points out they were sur- they were satirists. That's correct, but I see them more as surrealist comedy. That is what you know. It, it's satire wrapped up in, in surrealism. And I spent about twenty minutes trying to decide how I was going to explain what surrealism was to my daughter. And I'm not sure I got there. So if if you if you know, you know. But anyway, moving on. Then you have television interviews, which are hysterical. Uh, the nudge, nudge skit. Nudge, nudge. Know what I mean? Say them all. Say them all. You off? You go away. You go away. Oh, I, oh, I. I mean, everybody knows that one. That one is just uh, mouse problem buying a bed. Skip those. The barber, which leads into most people. What I didn't know about this one. The barber is what originally leads into the Lumberjack song. So the Lumberjack song is not listed on the credits. And the person who originally sang the Lumberjack song was Michael Palin. However, during the live shows, he would lose his voice by the time that came up. So Eric Idle had to sing it. So the first time I saw the barbershop sketch with uh, Michael Palin, Terry Jones, and then uh, Palin going in to sing the Lumberjack song, I went, why the fuck is Palin singing this? It's an idol song. I don't, I don't get, I didn't get it. So we got that going for us. Uh, da, da, da. More interviews, some great stuff. Arthur Touches Jackson's Teddy Baby. Great stuff. Children's stories. Oh, that is wrong. We're going to pass on that one. Oh my God. The North Minehead by-election with Mr. Hilter and Ron Viventrop. Oh, God. Talking, it's it, it's the idea that these three Nazis escaped to North Minehead in England, still wearing the the gear and just slightly changed their names. So it's now the National Bocialist Party. They're going to set up concentration bamps. And I mean, oh, my, it's it, it, surreal. And it, this is not that far away from World War Two. Oh, God. Um I was going to jump in here and say this is a good opportunity to mention that like Europe is a, was a little slower to the counterculture than America, but also very politicized. And so these guys d- couched political humor in a way that was super smart, very subversive, and cool. not on the and not on the nose on purpose because they were trying to communicate through and cut through and and wake people up to correct oh the pre- the president's a dumbass ha 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 everybody laughs this was much smarter than this this was very very wry and clever and a really really not punching down just to punch down this was like oh there were serious problems they they led you to their conclusion not by supporting their ideas or supporting their conclusions but just kind of leading you down the path. And then you went, oh, shit. Nazism is really bad. And, you know, in in, 19, in the 1970s, the idea of, you know, in, in the 1980s in American sitcoms, 
they still were dealing with the idea of keeping black people out of white suburbs. And they didn't show it like in a rose. Like I remember there's an episode of Family Ties where a guy goes, look, there's a black family in our neighborhood now and it's going to lower my property value and I'm leaving. And nobody said you're bad, you're racist or anything like that. You had half of them going, yeah, me too. In 15 years, 20 years before that, you have Monty Python doing anti-racism. And that's what this skit is. The, the North Minehead by-election by is them punching at these kinds of people. Because there were people in maybe English they government at the time that maybe, held may, these views. Maybe they were the first anti-fascists. They very well could have been. I mean, like, in, in, in like, entertainment. Maybe not like personally. Obviously, a lot of people are anti-fascist personally, but like blatantly anti-fascist comedy. Not even apologizing. Are you drinking the same beer again? That's terrible, or something? Different? No, I am now drinking a Trader Joe's uh, Aldi's Hopping Nomad. Okay, cool. I've never had an Aldi's beer. How was it? Uh, it's not as good as Trader Joe's. Not bad. I, I I've bought about thirty. You're talking about the house seven. brand. Yeah, house the house brand. House brand. Um, all right, yeah, man. Uh, yeah, North might, might be the best track on here beside uh, Nudge Nudge. And no, no. Uh, track seven is Pet Shop, which is the parrot sketch. A yeah, lot of Pet a lot good. of the sketches on like a lot of the classic sketches got different names later. So interesting. Yeah, on this one, you have on this record, you have the lumberjack song, and. And the parrot sketch, and neither one is listed as such. Interesting. And then it ends with self-defense, which is one of my absolute favorite surrealist slash it's it's surrealism and realism fighting, literally to the death. And John Cleese kills everyone. You shot him. Well, he's coming at me with a fresh fruit. Okay, so. Which that, if you think about it, is a sketch about people in the 70s asking for real world experience, real world things. And in England, the post-war dream is dying. It's crumbling. They're asking for real <clears throat> solutions and they're getting fairy tales. Should we, should we shout? Should we scream? What happened to the post-war dream? Um, I don't care what anybody says. The final cut is an amazing record regardless of whether or not you think it's Pink Floyd. Fair enough, but I don't. Um, uh, hey, just for the record, I don't. I didn't mention this. My other vinyl thing, my copy of the remixed and remastered and re-edited version of A Momentary Lapse of Reason arrived today. It's not Pink Floyd. It's as much Pink Floyd as Final Cut is, except less. Except less. Except more. Less. Way more. But anyway. More. You talked to me about this record. Um, so yeah, man. Uh, you know, again, uh, I had an attachment to Flying Circus to the show, the the you know the original performance. This album is a live performance. Correct. I did not mention that. B Correct. On the BBC, which is why it was never reissued until just a few a while back. It was like one of the last reissues they have done because the BBC owned the rights, which Correct. they regret. This album was not in the the Monty Python Instant Record Collection. Everything else they did was in it, except for 
the the bootleg one, which I forget the name of. Although that had all of the tracks from that bootleg have now been released on all of the the re-releases that I think it's the the 06 06 CD represses. It definitely uh shaped young me and then um I had kind of twin interests as a little kid which was theater and music. So I sang and I played music, but I, and I took music lessons, but I also did community theater. And so, I mean, like, I definitely wanted to go into theater because of Monty Python and because of this show and the record. And uh, yeah, it had like a real indelible, as indelible a mark on me as anything. Now, my father, who would pass away when I was a teenager, played comedy records in my house growing up. And he favored like Robert Klein, George Carlin, Richard Pryor, Steve Martin. Obviously, very American voices, very diverse people, different things, but like that's in Lenny Bruce, probably on tape, tape. That's who he favored. Um, I actually could, really couldn't even get Lenny Bruce back then, probably, because he was like blackballed or something. But uh, yeah, man, that's, uh, this is, it's, it's, it's not an understatement to say that Flying Circus is Titanic in the cult, in culture, in the world, in, in human history. It it did a lot of great things, but the wrong thing, you know, it, it's worth mentioning that there's a lot of problematic stuff from back then, and it's it's hard, and I don't, I don't, it's not really fair to judge a 1970s album by 2021 sensibilities, and I think that's where folks like John Cleese get their foot in their mouth by not realizing the world has changed, regardless of how brilliant the Attila the, the, Attila the Hun show was. You can't do that now. And Terry Gilliam as Mao Zedong or Graham Chapman as Mao Zedong, which we'll get to momentarily, might not be the best thing to do nowadays. But the comedy... You'll cringe a few times. There's a lot of cringeworthy moments with current eyes. Uh, Even, But if you think about it, if you go back into the 90s, we didn't bat an eye at this stuff. Which shows, Not as how far, much. which shows how far we've come as a people. Yay, That's America. Look, I think also for people who had the record experience, maybe this is a thing for you now. I guess there was an error making the record, either from the television recording or whatever, the live recording. And it's like mono and it's bad. Apparently the first like pet press of this thing was like hard. That's the, that's, I have the American pressing of it, which came out in 72. And it's not that, but um, yes, they, on their first album, they wanted to do all kinds of really cool stereo stuff and didn't, it, it didn't work out. So they did quite a bit of it on the next record. There was like one scene where uh, the, the constable, the, you know, the, 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 I'm sorry, the sergeant, the stop, stop, stop that. Too silly, too silly. Stop right now. He tries to go between speakers and it doesn't work. How did you listen to these, by the way? Um, I had to find like a bootleg on YouTube okay, to listen to it because like you can't get it really on, it's not on traditional streaming somewhat. Some of these are not on streaming. So somebody recorded it, their vinyl to YouTube and definitely put it up and it's still there somehow evading copyright I, strikes. I did listen to a little bit of the next one on another Monty Python record on uh on YouTube today, 
before we were given the all clear to leave early, so I had time to listen to it on vinyl. Uh, my daughter, because I have this, the only one I'm missing on vinyl, to the best of my knowledge, I don't have Life of Brian soundtrack. I don't have the Meaning of Life soundtrack. I have those on CD. And I don't have contractual obligation. So I have... I think I have basically everything we're going to be doing for this series on vinyl, which is a wonderful feeling for somebody who needs to chuff themselves up that way. Because that's me. But uh, I discovered... I mean, you can get these on Discogs for like two bucks a pop. Um... I agree. You can get these pretty dirt cheap. Just about any record store will have them in a good section. They they are eternal, all these records. Um, we're going to do another Monty Python record, right? In a second. Yes, we are now going on to the um, second record. Bef- before we do, before we do, let us take a quick break. Okay. Because I'm going to get interrupted anyway. So let's take a break for a few minutes. I'm going to pause and I'll come right back. And back to it. So now we're going to talk about the second Monty Python record, another Monty Python record, which is the greatest name I've ever heard till we get to, I think it's the next one. (laughs) Yeah, the next one. But this one, another great sketch. Um, The American version actually was longer than the English version. It's uh, 52 minutes-ish, something along those lines. And side two was longer than side one. Let's see, total on this one was actually, I'm sorry, uh, 54. 54 minutes for the American version. It, uh, it starts off with introductions where they say it's uh, a different record than, uh, actually, before we get to that, let's talk about the cover a little bit. They, it's a Beethoven symphony in symphony number two in D major. And they have crossed out all of that in crayon and written Monty Python, Monty Python's next record, which is just, I mean, it's, it's funny. I'm sorry, another Monty Python record. And this one also has some amazing sketches that have become, a lot of this has become, you know, canon. It starts off with introductions, which is them explaining it's the, uh, <laughs> the, the pleasures of the dance. And then there's another introduction saying, no, it's not actually that, it's Monty Python. Then Pleasures of the Dance breaks in again, and then it goes back into Monty Python, which then switches into one of the greatest sketches of all time, the Spanish Inquisition, because no one expects the Spanish Inquisition. And we are now lampooning uh, the Catholic Church, which makes sense for England to do such a thing like that. And then they, they, the whole Spanish Inquisition sketches basically talk about how, what a stupid idea it is and show them as bumbling fools. And Terry Gilliam actually gets to speak as a, uh, as Cardinal Fang, which is just ridiculous. And then Cardinal uh, uh, Bevis, I believe. Amazing, great names that they've always done. We move into, from there... I think Mike Judge, I think Mike Judge took Bevis and made it into Beavis for Beavis and Butter, by the way. Very likely. Um, It then goes on into the communist quiz, 
where they have the leaders of modern communism and Karl, Mar Karl Marx, Che Guevara, Mao Zedong, and uh, Lenin having on a game show. And the thing about this, which is so depressing, is there is more information about what communism is and isn't in this sketch than there was in the entire in the entirety of the Cold War leading up to now, because most people don't understand what communism or socialism really is. And they most people conflate it with an authoritarian dictatorship, which it is not. That is not the concept as it was created by Karl Marx. So I think if more people would actually watch and listen to the sketch, we would probably have better conversations about the idea. Uh, then goes into the Gumby Cherry Orchard. This one is a little difficult because the Gumbies are an extraordinarily visual, physical comedy of, uh, we'll just call them mental deficiency because they never quite explained what it was. But it's basically a bunch of really stupid people trying to do uh, the Cherry Orchard by Anton Chekhov and beating each other up mercilessly. Uh, which go then goes into contradiction, which is a little squiffy. Then the architect sketch, which is another one of my personal favorites. It was on, as the Spanish Inquisition was, it was on Monty Python's final ripoff about an architect who, instead of making a block of apartments, turns it into a place to murder all of the tenants, which is hysterical and wrong on so many levels. And he tried, when he realizes that's not what they want, he tries to convince them that this is the way to go. In uh, the television sketch, they end up choosing a different flock of flats, which explodes in front of them. But they decide, well, you know, it's not that big of a deal, whatever. So great irony there, which is lost in the sketch. Then we go back to the Spanish Inquisition and then into uh, Ethel the Frog, which Ethel the Frog was the name of a... <laughs> Uh, a fictional uh, English news program where they discuss uh, organized crime. This is one of the many, many lampoonings of organized crime that Monty Python did. And it, it, it should be pointed out that they're lampooning organized crime at a time when Henry Hill is the king of New York and the five crime families are running everything and here they are talking about how stupid these people are and how ridiculous they are. So that's that's a pretty big deal if you really give it a minute, mm. even if you don't. Even if you don't, before all the gangland murders and the families and stuff like that were a thing. Uh, Ethel the Frog for the TV watchers, this was Piranha Brothers, the sketch. Oh, um, yes, uh, Dinsdale. Dinsdale, Piranha. Dinsdale, Piranha. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, obviously, Spanish Inquisition like you said, arguably the best sketch ever or one of them. Uh, as a diehard Marxist and a realist socialist, uh, I love the communist quiz, especially Lenin, especially Marx and Lenin. Um, it's a brilliant side, man. It's hilariously funny. Architect's sketch is also good. I mean, like, it's pretty much flawless for a comedy record. should mention my daughter was listening to this with me today. and She goes, what is this? What is this? She's like, what is this record? This record makes no sense. 
And for an 11 year, for a 10 year old, that's probably about right. Uh, then we go on to side two with Death of Mary, Queen of Scots, which <laughs> basically it's, you know, are you Mary, Queen of Scots? Yes, I am. And then you hear thunderous noise for the next two minutes. Do you think, by the way, that that accent is supposed to be Sean Connery? Or do I just hear every Scottish accent in that deep baritone, Sean Connery? I'm going with number two. I, I don't All think right. Sean Connery was famous enough yet at this point. Um, okay. Then we go to Penguin on the television, which is two pepper pots arguing about a penguin that they have just noticed on their television. And they go into this whole crazy scenario, which makes no sense, but is uproariously funny. And then it explodes. Because that's what penguins do, apparently. Um, moving into Spanish Inquisition Part 3 with the comfy chair, which is that that's the torture they're trying to do. Uh, famous person quiz where they <clears throat> play recordings of a man waking up in the morning, peeing, shaving, and then brushing his teeth. And you're supposed to know that was uh, Visconti, the film director, uh, which leads into Be a Great Actor, where you get all of the words of these plays. The first play where you're supposed to be the star of the play. However, in the first one, the main character is dead, which, uh, oh, uh, going back to the, the Piranha Brothers, that was one of the first uh, vinyl practical jokes they did because they scratched the record to end the sketch. So that, that was a, a long-running motif in the Monty Python albums where they pretend that the record is scratched. They did practical jokes on the vinyl, which in 1970 and 1971 is unheard of. It made and people mad. They thought their thing was broken, their correct. system. Correct. And Andy Kaufman stole that later, stole those ideas later for his ABC Typo negative and on and on. On and on. That, they were the first to do it. And absolute genius and then so moving back uh, be a great actor and then uh, Neville Shunt which I don't remember what that is uh, Royal Festival Hall concert is the idea of a uh, violinist breaking his violin in the absolute most ridiculous ways he breaks three violins and the first violinist hands him his Stradivarius which he then breaks again leading to a fist fight <laughs> I don't even know how you come to these ideas, but they did. And then we get into another classic. We go into spam, which uh, that was them lampooning everyone's love for this, as a coworker of mine would call it, smeet, which is spam, which is nobody really even knows what it is. But England, in America, we gave up on the rationing quickly because we are the land of plenty, but England was still rationing for 20, 30 years after World War II. And spam was a big part of that rationing, so that's them making fun of that. Then we have camp judges, where it's the idea that these two judges are extraordinarily, I don't know what the phrase is in 2021, um, effeminate effeminate homosexuals who are pretending to be butch 
in court and actually he actually says that i said it in my butch voice the actions of this defendant cannot be blah 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 and it's just again it's just i I always view that one as lampooning the people in power and then because at that time that was an an insult which is ridiculous but it was we're talking about 1972 then we go into stake your claim which is an interesting sketch because that was done in one of the german monty python specials which i have never seen they did them all in german so i wouldn't understand them anyway but they translated it into english and it's basically the first one starts off with so your claim is that you wrote all of shakespeare's plays that's right i wrote all of shakespeare's plays and me and my wife wrote all his sonnets uh, how do you respond to the fact that we know that these plays and sonnets were performed 300 years before you were born? Ah, I see. Uh, I have no answer to that. I was only hoping you wouldn't ask that question. I see you're more than a match for me. And then it goes on to other ridiculous crap, which is hysterical. Then we get into cannibalism, which, oh my God. Um, the idea is it's these English uh, naval the 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 royal english Na- royal british navy on a lifeboat and they're trying to decide whom to eat in order to stay alive and then they go through all this ridiculous stuff they break fourth wall three or four times before even starting the sketch and they decide they're going to eat everyone and then you have the the typical monty python letter writing except in this instance on vinyl they do it as uh calling into a radio which is great Back into Camp Judges, then the Undertaker sketch. Again, so we have two cannibalism sketches on one side of a record. Not even on one record, but within like five minutes of each other. About a guy who brings his mother in a sack to a funeral home. And they all collectively decide. Oi, we got an eater. I think we got an eater. I'll get the oven on. He's like, we're going to eat her. Did I hear that correctly? He's like, yes, Matt. But well, we're going to cook her first. You know, we're not going to just get her raw. We're gonna some broccoli, some fresh fries, a little sauce. Mm, delicious. A side of, side of fries, right? Yeah. So broccoli, eat your with a side of fries. And broccoli. Don't forget the broccoli. Got to get the green in there. Again, I don't know where where this comes from, but it comes from a very weird place. And then uh, finishes up with another bit of the Spanish Inquisition. And... We're, we're talking about, and, and Terry Gilliam described in the 90s, what made Monty Python so great was you had six guys in a room deciding what was funny. And that's what they did. They didn't test anything. And the people in the audience, the way it was, I heard it described recently was, you went to the BBC and you asked for tickets to a show and you didn't get to pick the show. So they never had, like on television, they never had their audience. They would like, the old ladies clapping in the credits were like, would be typically their audience in the studio. And it's 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 a, an amazing comedy record where they use stereo to an amazing effect. Rarely on this album do you hear both channels at once. It's going back and forth. The conversations, you have one person on each side. And there are times when you have an entire conversation on one side 
and then sound effects on the other. They were really working at creating an oral experience, and I feel like they did so. And I can understand why somebody wouldn't appreciate this stuff because it's so out there sometimes. It's very out there. And it, and it gets progressively more out there as we go in future weeks. But yeah, I mean, very few people can follow this kind of brilliance, like, you know, themselves. They like continue to top themselves for a while. And it's it's really amazing to see. It, it's interesting what they were able to do in an audio format for a nearly visual show is amazing. And that's, if you haven't ever heard these, even if you've seen the show, I think a lot of the performances on the album are better than the performances on television because they had to be. They had to be, they had to really bring it. And the, the sketch that I'm thinking of the most that's better like the parrot sketch. The parrot sketch on record is 10 times better than any filmed version of it you've seen. Especially, which, we have, which we'll get to later in, in this series, the live versions. Because they did do a couple of live records where they went out and they performed their show and they did it live. And when they... I'll, I'll stop there because... I'm, Leave a little mystique. We'll save that for next time. I'm very excited. Yes. Too excited. I, I, I am so thrilled we're doing this because it's silly. And after the year everyone's had, even 2021, which has sucked ass almost as much as 2020 when it shouldn't have, which makes it worse, a little bit of silliness is a wonderful thing. And that Indeed. is all I have to say this week. I only have this to say. I'm going to throw this out there on the show. I don't think anything can really follow this accurately. So I think whatever weeks we have left over, we do something else entirely and not start a new band until January. Because I don't think anything can really follow this this next three episodes. Okay, after, okay I'll throw this out back at you. Uh, we're going to do th- uh, what, three, we said three weeks on this? I thought four. Three. Oh yeah, so yeah, that'll be into we'll have a we'll have a week left over in, in December. We'll do a listicles. We'll do a listicle week and then we'll decide the listicle will decide. We'll like pick the best well, I'll find a listicle of the best albums of the nineties. I'll send you okay. the link. We'll go over that. That'll be the episode. We'll discuss every like album that's on that list. Depending on how long it is, we'll see how we'll keep it short or keep it long. And then we'll decide the next band from that list. That's fun. I like, I don't mind that. All right. I, I, I'm good. Uh, great episode. Thank you. Good to be on something not so crushingly horrible. Something wonderful and fun. It, I, I feel like everyone who has listened through the Quiet Riot series deserves a treat. If they're still here, thank you. People are still listening. I'm a little surprised that, although I will say the 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 everything after the first Quiet Riot episode is not done as well. Don't know why. I can't imagine why. But uh, it is what it is. And I will say 
the hockey game is on and I want to watch some of it. So thank you very much, Keefe. As always, these are amazing, wonderful moments in my week that I look forward to. And I cannot wait to get to next week when we talk about more of probably my favorite comedy troupe of all time. And uh, yeah, that's all I got. All right, there we go. Dunzo. Glacier Musical Podcast. It doesn't play in Peoria.